Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello again, everybody. My name is Mike Petralia. It's episode 231 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. That's www.clnsmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter at CLNS Media and on Facebook at facebook.com slash clnsmedia. Speaking of clnsmedia.com, the all-new CLNS Media website has launched at clnsmedia.com. That is now the home of this podcast and over 40 other podcasts and vidcasts in the world of sports, finance, comedy, and lifestyles. We are so excited to have our show featured on the new CLNS Media website. Support our network by checking out this episode at clnsmedia.com. That is clnsmedia.com. I'm excited to welcome back one of my favorite reporters on the Patriots beat, Doug Kide of Nesson.com. We had uh, your colleague, your partner in crime, Zach Cox, on during the first playoff bye week. So how appropriate to have uh, bookends during Super Bowl bye week. Doug, uh, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Shags. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, so uh, how many questions are we going to get about Tom Brady, um, or how many questions is Tom Brady going to get about Giselle asking his good Betty Jay Feely to get him to retire during Super Bowl week and the two weeks leading up? <laughs> we'll probably get a lot. And, you know, I, I was kind of thinking that this is a, a Super Bowl without controversy, without <laughs> like a, an obvious storyline. So maybe that will be it. I. This, this is this will be an unpopular take around New England, but I I really wouldn't blame Bill Belichick or Tom Brady if they do did choose to retire if they win a sixth Super Bowl uh, the, this upcoming you know in, in two weeks on Sunday against the Eagles. I just don't know what else they could possibly accomplish in the NFL after winning six Super Bowls, three and four years to start off their run three and four years to end the run. I don't think it's going to happen, but I certainly wouldn't blame them if that is what they chose to do. No, I, I wouldn't be shocked either. I've had this discussion with several other uh, reporters on the beat. Um, I think it probably makes more sense if Bill retires than it does Tom, because uh, the grind of his job is extraordinary and I will get to it in a little bit um, what you asked today uh, in the conference call I think kind of gets to that Um, but Bill goes through this grind year after year after year and now you throw in the supposed tension which I think uh, I think both you and me both know was a little bit overblown in the Seth Wickersham article Mm -hmm. but um, you still there's that tension inside Gillette Stadium and it's got to wear on him uh, to some degree and if he walks away with six Super Bowls meaning Bill um, I just find it hard to believe that he would want to go back to that grind at Gillette, knowing what kind of dynamic does exist. Yeah, I, I do have a question of, you know, what Bill Belichick would possibly do with his life 
if he were to walk away, I feel like he, he'd probably find himself coaching some, you know, minuscule high school team or something. But I mean, not only the sick of the grind in inside Gillette stadium and, you know, the supposed friction, but it must be a pain every summer to, to repaint that boat that he's got <laughs> too. Cause right now it's up to, to eight, eight rings. Eight you'd have rings, to repaint right. to nine rings. And I mean, then, then you're getting into 10 rings. Do you go digit? Do you go, do you, do you write out the 10 there? There's just, it's a, it's a lot to deal with there. Let's get into the details of that story about on SI.com uh, about uh, Jay Feely and Tom Brady. Obviously, they know each other from their days at Michigan, right? I mean, that's, you know, where they were teammates. Um, do you think there's some legitimacy there? I think there could be. I mean, I'm sure that Giselle wants Brady to retire. Uh, you, you couldn't really blame her. It's a, it's a dangerous game, like we were just saying. He's accomplished so much in his career he's probably not around too much during the season he's probably not around too much even during the offseason because we know time he spends at Gillette Stadium getting prepared for the season so you can't really blame her but I'm not sure if it's going to work I don't know how many people she would have to you know convince to talk to Brady and I don't know if they're convincing will work I mean like we were just saying I don't know how much more he has to accomplish but he just loves football and I think that you know, to us, we look at it from afar, and when you've won six Super Bowls, or if you, if he's going to win six Super Bowls, even winning five Super Bowls, he's known as the greatest player in NFL history. But to him, I think he just likes doing this. I think this is his life. He doesn't know anything differently, and he's only 40 years old in his mind, and I don't know if he has a, a solidified plan for after he retires. I don't know how much fulfillment he would get out of that. So. I just don't know if, if Giselle would be able to convince him to do that. Well, uh, make of this what you will, but Jay Feely supposedly told him, play as long as you can. That was the quote in the story. <laughs> and I, I, I told somebody else this today, and I, I really believe this. When you're talking about Tom and Giselle, you're talking about two dynamic personalities. And while Tom smiles and, you know, and, and makes nice on the surface, as you would expect him to, and, and gives all the support in the world to Giselle for raising their kids and all of that. Tom's going to do what Tom's going to want to do, and Giselle is obviously an incredibly forceful personality uh, on her, in her own right, obviously. She's a world supermodel. Um, and so I think you have to take with a grain of salt um, that whole dynamic that's going on there between Tom and he's going to do what he's going to want to do and the irony is he's told how many people he wants to play till 45 and then you know if he wins another Super Bowl when he retires I mean nobody's going to kill him for it I don't think but then people are going to start asking oh you didn't couldn't play till 45 anyway huh right it's it's you couldn't play until 45 and then or you didn't play until you're 45 and then plus he he has had a number of injuries this year. Uh, you know, the left shoulder injury, he had the Achilles injury plus the hand injury. And some people might question, oh, is he retiring because of injuries? And then that doesn't look very good for his whole TB12 program and TB12 method because he his goal is to play to 45, I think, to help that TB12 method. And if he's 40 years old and dealing with all these injuries and people would speculate if he's retiring because of those injuries, I'm not sure if that really helps his brand in the future. All right, let's move on uh, to talking about the game just completed. Uh, Patriots uh, completing another miraculous ho-hum comeback in the playoffs, beating <laughs> the, the Jaguars 24-20. to You and I both know, we were in that press box, and when, Danny, when Brady threw that laser 
to Amendola on third night 18 at the Patriot uh, 26-yard line. So it was at the Patriot 45. When that pass was completed, third and 18, Patriots down 10 points in the fourth quarter. You knew, you knew I knew, the Patriots coming back and winning that game. Yes? Uh, absolutely. And, I mean, it, it, it's crazy to say this. It's crazy to think this. But even before then, I, I was thinking the whole game, like, and eh, they're probably going to do this. They're probably going to turn this around at some point. And obviously there were moments when it looked a little bit more unlikely. The Dion Lewis fumble was probably when they hit rock bottom in that game. But even then I was thinking, I mean, they've come back. Once you come back from 28-3, nothing seems impossible and nothing even seems improbable at that point. So, yeah, I think, you know, converting on that 13-18 was, was certainly the turning point, And that's when it became likely that the Patriots would come back. But even before then, I think that everyone knew it was possible, both in that press box and probably even watching on TV. The other thing I think that game did, Doug, is it took away the Tom Brady thumb storyline from the Super Bowl. Because I think anybody watching that game, when he threw the second pass of the game, uh, and this is what I was, you were in the room, I think, post-game when I asked uh, Brady, how important that pass was to Brandon Cooks, the second pass of the game. What I was really getting at is how important was that for your confidence to know that early in the game you could make that kind of throw? That told me he was A-OK. Absolutely. Not only with a thumb, but, I mean, like I was saying earlier, with with all of the injuries that he's had this season, over the last, what, five, six, seven weeks of the season, he didn't look like himself, and everyone was bringing it up, and, and it was true. He was throwing a lot more interceptions than normal. But over these last two games, he's been absolutely brilliant, thumb injury or not, and he's really having, you know, one of his better playoff runs of his career right now, which is kind of amazing to, to think about and say after how he finished the season and the struggles that, you know, they're struggles for him. They wouldn't be struggles for most quarterbacks, but he didn't look completely like himself. And through these two playoff games, thumb injury or not, he has 100% looked like himself. Danny Amendola, where does he rank in the clutches players that the Patriots have had under um, the Brady-Belichick regime? I think maybe right below Julian Edelman, but you could make the argument, Doug, he's made as many, if not more, clutch plays uh, over the last couple of years, including the playoffs and the Super Bowls, than anybody else. Yeah, he really has. I think that you know he's moved past Kevin Falk, I think, on that list of of clutch, especially in in the playoffs, he's moved above uh, Kevin Falk, and you know he's probably even moved above the, Troy Brown uh, because Brown really didn't have the the playoff production that Amendola has had. And yeah, it's really neck and neck with with Edelman. I think that he is probably still number two just because Edelman's per game production in the playoffs and, and overall is higher. But I mean, when Tom Brady needs to make a clutch throw. He's absolutely looking Amendola's way, and it's been that way really since he came to this team. And it's funny there. There's been a lot of um, you know a lot of talk about Amendola recently, and how when he did sign in 2013, there were some periods there where Patriots fans were not very happy with the signing, um, and he was considered a, a bit of a disappointment early in his career because he wasn't Wes Welker and he wasn't putting up the kind of production, and and Julian Edelman had kind of become that Wes Welker guy but always completely forgiven at this point with Danny Amendola. He is, you know, in Patriots lore, he is absolutely one of the most beloved players in in their franchise history at this point. I ran a poll on Twitter asking 
who's the more beloved Patriot between Danny Amendola and Wes Welker? And half of the responses were, is this even a serious question? Saying bar none, it was Danny Amendola. And that's pretty crazy to think about since Wes Welker had five 100 catch seasons, five 1,000 yard seasons. Amendola has not had that kind of regular season production, but when you account for playoffs, he, he really, you can easily see why he is the more beloved player of the two. And this is going to be completely cynical, and I, I bet you know where I'm going with this. Danny Amendola never dropped a pass in the Super Bowl that cost him a Super Bowl. And that was a bad pass. Yeah, and that was a bad pass by Brady, or it was kind of a iffy pass behind um, Wes Welker. But if you ask the cynical Patriot fan, of course they're going to say Danny Amendola because he's clump, come up clutch so many times, both in Super Bowl 49 and 51 uh, last year in Houston uh, and so far in these playoffs. And the other thing about Danny Amendola, and I think it was Phil Perry uh, asked this this morning of uh, the the significance of that punt return that uh, was about 20 yards that got the Patriots to the uh, 30-yard line of Jacksonville in the fourth quarter. That was a huge play. Yeah, it was massive. I mean, that got them to the 30-yard line, and after that it was was almost – easy to score at this point at that point and and not not to get too far down this this you know Wes Welker rabbit hole but while we are talking yeah why not that's why we're here (laughs) there's there's kind of a a whole era of Patriots players who almost get forgotten because they didn't win Super Bowls and I guess forgotten might be too strong of a word but they just won't be nearly as beloved because Wes Welker is on that list Uh, I think that Randy Moss, Moss is still beloved just because he's such a special player, but he obviously never won a Super Bowl. And the, the real one that you feel bad for is Logan Mankins because he was drafted in the first round in 2005, the year after the Patriots won a Super Bowl. And he was traded in August or September of 2014, the year the Patriots won their next Super Bowl. So he had a fantastic run. He's probably the best offensive lineman of the Brady Belichick era, but he will largely be forgotten because he never was on a Super Bowl team. And you, you kind of have to feel bad for that guy that he did miss that that glory that, that he could have had. That is a tremendous point, Doug. Speaking with Doug Kide, Patriots beat reporter for Nesson.com. I have to tell you guys about my newest time-saving trick. I got my daughter's contact lens prescription renewed from my desk yesterday in just under five minutes using an awesome new app. It's called Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts lets you renew your prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from anywhere in just minutes through an online vision test. If you have an existing prescription, you can use that as well. It's designed by doctors, and every test is reviewed by a doctor, so they're literally bringing the doctor's office to your home. The contact lens prices are unbeatable. The vision test is only $20, and shipping is free. Best of all, my Patriots Beat listeners get $30 off their first simple contacts with the promo code CLNS. Try it for yourself and save $30 on your lenses by going to simplecontacts.com slash CLNS or entering the code CLNS at checkout. You can do either one. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash CLNS or just enter the code CLNS at checkout. Speaking again with Patriots beat reporter for Nesson.com, Doug Kide, um, I want to talk about the Gronk factor. Patriots have lots of uh, experience uh, playing without Gronkowski. They won the Super Bowl last year without Gronk. Um, it appears that the Patriots might have dodged a bullet after that Barry Church helmet-to-helmet hit um, 
late in the first half on that very important scoring drive to end the first half. Uh, Gronk went to the locker room. He did not return. First of all, Doug, uh, you you and I both agree it's a probability that Gronk makes it back for Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. You know, concussions can sometimes be a little bit tough to to predict, but and with the with the bye week with the two weeks, I, I do fully expect him to be back out there on the field. Yeah, and you know, and the the reaction from uh, the locker room almost immediately after the game was that he was in good spirits. He was quiet, but he was in pretty good spirits. And then the next day, you were down at, at Gillette, and uh, I believe it was Matthew Slater who said he talked with him, and he you know seemed in in very good spirits, much improved. So you know, whatever. That's twenty four hours after the fact, and he's going to get some rest time now. Uh, he's going to get obviously the extra week to go through the Super Bowl. Uh, excuse me, the NFL protocol, uh, concussion protocol. So, you know, you keep your fingers crossed. Going back to that Barry Church hit, I, you know, my daughter texted me during the game, did you think that was a dirty hit? My answer was, it was a penalty, but it was not a dirty hit. And I think that's just the way the NFL and players have to live with that, right? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't think that he meant to concuss Gronk. I don't think that, you know, he he meant to have it be a helmet-to-helmet hit, but you do still have to penalize it because you somehow have to teach players or, or train players to not do that, to, to try to hit the player in the body because uh, it's just going to be a terrible look for the NFL if there's helmet-to-helmet hits that go unflagged. It, it just can't really happen. So if a player is getting concussed, if it is a helmet-to-helmet hit, you have to flag it, you have to train players to, to not do that. But at the same time, I, I do not think the Barry Church intended to do that whatsoever. And not only that, after the game, I believe he reached out to Gronk and said, you know, he apologized to him, uh, certainly didn't mean to do it, and uh, told reporters, you know, it's my sincere hope uh, that he is healthy and gets ready for the Super Bowl because he would hate to have that kind of hit. You know, he's a human being. He's an athlete. He's a competitor. But, he, you know, he is also a human being. He would not want Gronk missing that Super Bowl because of something he did to his head. You know, and I, I thought that was uh, uh, pretty classy. I also thought, um, you know, on the following play, I think it was the A.J. Bouye um, pass interference, I thought the Jaguars lost their composure a little bit, though, um, there are those down in Jacksonville who said that was not pass interference. How did how did you see that play that set up the touchdown? I thought it was pass interference. Um, uh, you know, uh, I I don't have any complaints about the officiating in that game. Uh, I do think that you know if there is a case for the for the Jaguars to complain about the officiating at all, it's the fact that the Patriots were not penalized on offense or defense. I think you know it's pretty tough to go an entire game without committing a single penalty. So if there's an argument to be made, if they're going to complain about anything, I would say it's going to be that. But at the same time, you're not looking at obvious plays that weren't flagged that the Patriots were committing out there on the field. I think that, you know, it's, it's much overblown over the last few weeks or whatever it's been since the Steelers game. Um, you know, the complaints about the Patriots benefiting off officiating. I, I don't think there's anything to that. I just think that the Patriots are a disciplined team who probably don't commit as many penalties as other teams. One of the great things about the Super Bowl is a lot of players who fly under the radar get really good national media attention. I think Trey Flowers will fall into that category, Doug, this in the next week and a half or so, and it's certainly well-deserved. I 
would make the argument he's the most underrated defensive player in the National Football League for what he means to this defense. Uh, people would, you know, certainly point and, and rightfully so to guys like Devin McCourty and Deron Harmon. But when you watch, uh, and I'm sure you did very closely, um, the way Flowers played. Uh, in that second half, the motor looked like he kicked it into a new gear, and he wasn't fatigued. If anything, he was wearing down the Jacksonville pass protection. I thought he had one of his best 30 minutes of football when the Patriots needed him the most on Sunday. Yeah, I think that one of the things that goes uh, you know, pretty underrated or, or, or overlooked about Trey Flowers is just how good he is as a run defender, and that's not something that's going to show up on the stat sheet like sacks and you know, he's not a double-digit sack guy, but he gets a ton of pressures, uh, gets a, a lot of quarterback hits, gets a lot of hurries, and he makes a lot of, you know, stops near or behind the line of scrimmage. And that's absolutely huge for this Patriots team. They were great against the run, and I think that, you know, Trey Flowers was, was a big part of that. You don't want to run at his side of the field because he is so dominant in the run game. And, and I would say that, you know, he's definitely up there as far as most underrated uh, defenders in the NFL, and I would actually probably also put Patrick Chung in that mix as well. I know that name crossed my mind. Still, yeah, yeah, he he still gets kind of a bad rap, I think, for how his career started in New England. But ever since he came back in 2014, he's just so versatile. There's few players in the NFL who can cover tight ends better than him, and any player who can go from linebacker to slot cornerback on a snap to snap basis is is definitely a special player. So I'd throw him in the mix as well. And obviously he will be uh, a big storyline, I think, an actual one, uh, you know, in this next week uh, as uh, he spent that year in Philadelphia before coming back to the Patriots. And, you know, what did you make of that one year that he spent away and spent in Philadelphia? It was certainly interesting. I mean, I thought that he was, he was misused with the Patriots from, from 2009 to 2012. He was misused in Philadelphia in 2013. Uh, because he's so athletic, coaches were trying to use him as a free safety, and it, it just didn't work. He's not that guy who can cover you know, the entire back end of the field. He's a guy who's great against, great against the run. He's great as a pass rusher, and he's great in one-on-one coverage, basically against any, type of, any kind of body type. And it took a number of years for an NFL coach, finally being Bill Belichick, to figure out how to properly use him in a defense. And I think that, you know, that year in Philadelphia definitely helped him. It, it helped him recharge. It helped him kind of reset once he got back in New England because Devin McCourty had emerged as a star-free safety in the NFL. And that allowed Patrick Chung to, to kick down to strong safety, which is, you know, uh, it's, an easier position to find a player who can make an impact, but it's tough to find a player like Chung who can do so many things well in the NFL. And, you know, all eyes will be on him, not only because he did spend that year with the Eagles, but also because he'll probably be tasked to cover Zach Ertz against the Eagles. And, and he's probably the Eagles most, um, most special offensive player, I guess you might say, uh, just because of, of the, the, you know, mismatch that he usually brings at tight end. But I think that Chung, with his physical play and his athleticism, is actually a, a pretty good matchup for Ertz. Before I get into the question about uh, the, the question you asked Bill Belichick in Tuesday's conference call, I want to ask you about something someone brought up to me that I thought was pretty interesting. West Coast offenses against Bill Belichick. 
You know, Doug, they've been effective. And why do you think that is? I mean, do you do you think there's concern going into this Super Bowl because you know the 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 Eagles have that type of style of offense? Doug Peterson obviously is their head coach. Do you think that presents some big time challenges? I think it definitely presents some challenges because you know there's there's clearly a reason uh, why they why they've made it so far and why they've been able to to keep up their offensive production with Carson Wentz out of that offense and with Nick Foles in there. I think that it's, it's obviously an offense that works for that team. And, and it's something that, you know, they can, they can kind of go through whatever players they have and it's still going to be effective. So I'm not really sure why West coast offenses are so effective against Belichick defenses, but um, I do think it's, it is a, a bit of a concern in this game. And just the fact that, you know, I think that you can look at Nick Foles and say, oh, this should be easy for the Patriots, but they've been so explosive. And, you know, I think that most people will probably say that the Vikings defense is better than the Patriots defense, and they were obviously able to move the ball incredibly well against Minnesota. So I think that the, that will be uh, quite a challenge for, for Belichick and Matt Patricia and that Patriots defense. All right. The question you asked, Bill, on uh, Tuesday, I thought was an interesting one because of the timing. The Patriots are back to their third Super Bowl in four years. But something people forget, um, you know, at least maybe the casual fan forgets at this time of year. This Saturday, the Saturday before, uh, in between the, you know, the uh, conference championships and the Super Bowl Saturday is the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. And the Patriots have to do their, you know, head, uh, their uh, homework on that as well. And you asked about college scouting director Monty Austin for it, director of pro personnel Dave Ziegler, and Director of Research Richard Miller, the job those three guys have to do in terms of assimilating all of the information that uh, is available to uh, the, the, you know, the front office that they have to get, they have to get ready for the NFL draft and the combine coming up, just like every other team who is not in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, it's it's a really tough task for those guys who have to be down there and they have to be paying attention to their own team because obviously the Patriots expect a lot out of their scouts and, and their personnel directors, um, you know, not only doing their job in, in college scouting, but wearing a lot of hats. We, we see, you know, Monty Austin Ford and some of the Patriots scouts at these games watching and, and looking for tells in the other team and, and doing their job. Uh, you know, they're not only on the road, scouting they're also doing a lot of things for this team in other regards so they definitely have to be wearing a ton of hats this time of year and i think it is uh, uh really tough for them and i mean a lot of credit goes out to those guys as well just for how they've built up these teams year after year after year because it's not easy when you're constantly picking you know late in the first round or, or recently the patriots haven't had first round picks they've they've traded for brandon cooks they lost pick because of the plate gate so they've had to build this roster off late round draft picks and undrafted guys. And I think that, you know, you look around the roster, not only with Austin Fort, with guys like Dietrich Wise and Adam Butler, who have stepped up, uh, who are, who are rookies this season, but also the job that, that Dave Ziegler has done on the pro personnel side, because he's the guy who's, who's bringing in, you know, players like Ricky Jean-Francois or, you know, Johnson Batamosi or, or some of these other veteran guys who have really stepped up for the Patriots this season and made an impact because he's the guy looking around the league and, and wondering if they can acquire this guy or that guy. And a lot of those guys have, have really made an impact for this team this year. 
Well, you know what I remember about Dave Ziegler, and I correct me if I'm wrong, Doug. Remember the um, Do Your Job Part Two, and there was the uh, interview, or there was the uh, inside the war room before the Super Bowl, before Super Bowl Fifty One, and they were going over the scouting reports. Do you remember what Dave Ziegler said about Jake Matthews? Uh, the, yes, that he, <laughs> yeah, he could be overpowered to, uh, to Eric Fisher, right? Yeah, I, I just thought it it was fascinating because. That showed you that in addition to handling the incredible mountain of volume, as Belichick termed it to you uh, in the conference call during this time of year, they have to have their focus also on the Philadelphia Eagles in this particular case and down to every particular detail. And it was Ziegler pointing out different uh, weaknesses in the opposition that the Patriots could take advantage of that wound up being incredibly crucial to the Patriots coming back in that fourth quarter against Atlanta. I just, I don't know, for my money, I thought that was fascinating. It really is. And I think that when you look at the job that, you know, Monty Austin Ford and, and Dave Ziegler and, and Nick Casario and, and the Patriots coaches do, that is a very large reason or very major reason why the Patriots are so successful year after year after year and it starts with Bill Belichick because he's the guy who's convincing these coaches and these scouts to work 80 hours a week <laughs> studying film. Um, we, I mean, when you talk, when you look at any interview with any, you know, coaching assistant, scouting assistant, when they're breaking down games, they have to fill out 30 different columns on Excel for every single play. And it takes a very special person not only to do that job, but also to convince someone to do that job at a high level. And that's Bill Belichick. And I don't know if there's another coach in the NFL who can convince his staff to put in that type of, you know, tedious work on a single play and then put that over a single drive, over a single game, and then over an entire season to do that amount of work and to do it in the, the time span that these guys have to do it. It's a very large reason for the Patriots' success. And it's, and it's the reason why, you know, after Bill Belichick leaves, no matter who takes over that, that post as head coach, I don't know if they'll be able to continue this reign of success because can a guy like Josh McDaniels convince his scouts to put in all of that tedious work? Maybe, but it sounds a lot better when it's coming from Bill Belichick, and it's a lot easier to convince someone to do that when you've won eight Super Bowls with two different teams. So I think that, you know, a lot of credit goes out to those guys and a lot of credit goes out to Bill Belichick for convincing them to do it and convincing them to do it at a high level. Uh, any reason, um, I, I believe I, I have this story right, right? Uh, Monty Austin Fort was, or the Patriots, denied uh, permission to the Texans to speak with him. I mean, they have since filled their GM spot, but um, any reason mm -hmm. that they denied that? You know, I'm not sure. I haven't got intel on that. I have a theory on that, and it, it's, it's completely, it's 100% off my head. It's, it's a theory, and I wonder if Bill Belichick didn't want either Nick Casario or Monty Austin Ford to go into a situation that they might regret. And that, that Texans GM situation is just a little bit messy because the, there was talk of friction between Bill O'Brien and Rick Smith. Right. And after the talks of friction, Rick Smith stepped down as general manager because you know he had to take care of his wife. His wife has breast cancer, so he he essentially took a leave of absence to leave that post as general manager, but 
he's still staying on as executive vice president of football operations. And the plan currently is for him to return to that post after he steps away for a year. So whoever gets hired as general manager of the Texans, sure, he's got the title of general manager and he'll have the title of general manager moving forward. But the old GM is still in the building and he's got a, a, a title that's higher than that is the that of the general manager because he's the executive vice president of football operations. So I think it's a little bit of a messy situation for whoever, you know, the, the guy who did get hired as general manager there to walk into. And I, I don't think that, you know, Bill Belichick's always looking out for the best interests of the guys in his building, of Josh McDaniels, of Matt Patricia, of Casario, Austin Fort, whoever's going to get hired away. And I wonder if you looked at that situation and said, eh, that's not a good one to walk into. If you want to interview after the season, that's fine, but right. I'm not going to recommend you to take this. That's just a theory that I have, unfounded. Well, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if we'll ever find out, but that seems to make sense to me. Yeah, as good as any, uh, Doug, and I, I would buy that 100% simply because I do think Bill Belichick looks out for those most loyal to him. And as you said very articulately um, and spelled it out in detail, to do the work and job that Belichick asks it requires so much dedication. I think that's a way Belichick would repay them by kind of protecting them. I, I would buy that that theory 100%. When are you heading out to Minnesota? I am going on Monday. Uh, so Monday morning, we'll get there in time for, for media night and everything Woo-hoo! and all the craziness of the whole week. Uh, <laughs> coming back the, the following Tuesday. Uh, so that, you know, we can stay out there for the whole MVP uh, ceremony and everything. So it'll be a fun week. Uh, it's going to be a long week. We're going to be, you know, spending it at a mall, but it's going to be a good time. Yeah. I, I'm curious. The former site, of course, of Metropolitan Stadium, um, the Mall of America. And uh, that will be mm-hmm. fascinating. I will be joining you out there uh, on the weekend. That would Fantastic. be uh, Saturday and, of course, this game on Sunday and flying back Monday. So I'll miss the uh, umpteenth Tom Brady Super Bowl MVP press conference on Monday. <laughs> Who do you like, by the way? Give me a prediction. Uh, pa- Patriots. I think that I'll say I'll say this is finally the Super Bowl that the Patriots win that's, that's not down to the wire. Maybe they'll win by, by a touchdown or so. But I do expect it to be you know the, the annual now Tom Brady MVP uh, ceremony the day after the Super Bowl. Well, uh, ironically, it was the Patriots and Eagles in Super Bowl 39 that was probably the most comfortable ending for the Patriots uh, of their you mm-hmm. know five wins. Um, you know, it was close, 24-21 uh, at the end, but not really. It was 24-14, uh, and you, you had the sense the Patriots mm-hmm. were winning that game. So it could be very much the same story. This is Doug Kide of Patri- of Nesson.com, outstanding beat reporter. Doug, how can uh, people follow you on Twitter? Uh, follow me at Doug Kide, and that's Doug, D-O-U-G-K-Y-E-D. And I want you to shout out to your outstanding Nesson.com and Nesson colleagues between the tackles, correct? Yes, yes, the podcast between the tackles, that's uh, myself, Zach Cox, and Michaela Vernava. Uh, we record that podcast every Wednesday. Uh, you can find that either on Nesson.com or on YouTube.com slash Nesson. We do a, a video podcast there, and it's it's a lot of fun every week. We, we have fun with it, absolutely. 
That leads me into this, Doug. Stay with CLNS all day on game day, starting with the CLNS Media New England Patriots pregame show with Alex Barth a half hour before every game. Then you can catch the postgame show with Marvin Ezon and Mike Mullineau live after every single game on clnsmedia.com. That includes Super Bowl 52 from Minneapolis. Subscribe to both on iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube now. I'll have my five from Foxborough. Uh, Minneapolis version from Super Bowl uh, 52 as I will be there live and on the scene. Also, get daily team updates on the Patriots Newsfeed podcast with Tyler Trudeau, which is also available on the CLNS Media New England Patriots postgame show feed, available again on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and the CLNS Media mobile app. Thanks so much for downloading today's Patriots Beat. want to once again thank our guest, the terrific Doug Kide from Nesson.com. You can follow him on Twitter, as he just mentioned, at Doug Kide, K-Y-E-D would be the spelling of that last name. You can also give us a follow at Patriots underscore Beat and at CLNS Media. You can also give my own personal account a follow at Trags, T-R-A-G-S. Today's sponsor, Simple Contacts. For Patriots content manager Michael Longi, CLNS media executive producer Larry H. Russell, and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, thanks to everyone who tuned in. This is Mike Petralia, and this is the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. What's going on, Pass Nation? This is Marvin Zahn of the CLNS Media Network, and I'm here to tell you right now to check out the CLNS Media New England Patriots postgame show hosted by myself and my co-host, Mr. Mike Nice. And live on CLNS Radio immediately after every single pass game, calling at 929-477-2386 toll-free to get your voice heard and contribute to the host breakdown and analysis of the latest Patriots contest. We also got the stars and sorries of the day, Twitter posts for the plays of the game, and everything else that is going on with the five-time Super Bowl champion. Subscribe to CLNS Media New England Patriots postgame show on iTunes and Stitcher. And the best way, download the free CLNS Media Network mobile app for on-demand listening anytime, anyplace, anywhere.